singles in the church have lamented that once their friends marry, there is suddenly a chasm between the two parties. How can this be fixed? Does this need to be fixed? I propose that it can and it must. Just a few disclaimers before we even get anywhere. Disclaimer one, this is not a motivational talk for the average Jack and Jill to marry. But even if they do, that's fair and good. Disclaimer number two. What we're aiming at, ta- at targeting here is Christians, born-again members of local churches. The aim is that by the end of this, if you're not a part of a local church, that you would repent and believe in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior and commit to a local body and serve there under godly elders so let us set a foundation foundation is that marriage is good amen, amen. genesis two eighteen, the lord god said it is not good for the man to be alone i will make him a helper uh, i'll make him a suitable helper the lord god of heaven creator of heaven and earth who dwells in, a, in unapproachable light says it is not good for a man to be alone when God saw that it was not good for a man to be alone what did God then predetermine to do he then would fashion a suitable helper for the man the first man The federal head of all mankind, Adam, was fashioned for Eve. And Eve was not just made for the sake of it. She was not just made to say, well, God did not just say, I'm just going to make Eve because, you know, just for the sake of it. But Eve was made for Adam. It's interesting when you read Genesis, you see that. Eve was not made for self-fulfillment as the feminists like to say and propagate. But Eve was made for the first man. Eve was made for Adam. Thus it would follow that women have been made for men. For the glory of God, of course. That's a, a very dangerous and controversial thing to say in this world likewise in the local church the married must encourage the unmarried in the church that marriage is good we mustn't be like the world where the main teachings and the thrust is avoid marriage as much as possible and run away from it like a plague If God says marriage is good, surely you who are called his children should say it's good. Now, the problem is that you have many churches and many people who, uh, you know, like to say marriage is bad 
or avoid it as much as possible. Uh, pursue education. Pursue uh, degrees. Pursue your career. And leave marriage at last. When you are tattered, old, energyless. Uh, marriage is a, is a, as, as one brother put it, is a retirement package for many people. It's not something that is a priority. I also think that many married people paint, sorry, yeah, they, they don't paint a fair picture of marriage after all. They argue in public. They're always lamenting about their spouses. They rarely paint a portrait of how good marriage is. And of course, there's a flip side of it all where there are people who actually idolize marriage. That is not the direction we're coming from. And at least I hope we don't. We should not idolize marriage. The chief end of man is not marriage. It is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. And one of the ways you glorify God and enjoy him forever is to get married in the Lord. Dear friends, marriage is not bad. God created it and instituted it. It is a creation ordinance and thus even unbelievers can marry and bear children and enjoy the covenant just as they enjoy the rising of the sun and its setting. The summer rains. But I would argue they don't really enjoy it or understand the covenant to the degree that we as children of God do. So at BRBC, we don't discourage marriage. Instead, we encourage it. In fact, we emphasize it. Young men and women who are single, we encourage you to get married in the Lord. And we emphasize <laughs> that. Unless God has called you to be a eunuch, of which, if you are a eunuch, it will be beyond reasonable doubt. Eunuchs can be seen in, in that day. They, 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 uh, those who are, who are celibate for the sake of the gospel are seen in that they've committed themselves to that. God has gifted them. And so that's what they're doing. And you can see that there's no temptation to marry or even sexual immorality, etc., etc. So now that we've laid the foundation, let's go to the examination. God created men or mankind for specific, for, uh, for companionship. More specifically, marital companionship. Marriage is between a man and a woman. It's not men and men or women and women. Or, or man and women, or men and a woman. But it's a woman and a man. Our confession says so. The Bible says so. And God has created us in such a manner that we would seek this companionship and find it in Him. 
Thus, when you begin to, uh, to sense that you desire a wife or a husband, do not think of it strange or foreign. It's God's natural design. Of course, this does not mean that the moment teenagers get an impulse to marry, they must immediately do it. There has to be some tangible level of maturity, both in Christ and also in practice. For example, the man. Does he know the basic teachings of the Christian faith? Is he a Christian? Women, is he a Christian? Don't just accept anything that comes. You're in the workplace or you're at school and this hot guy comes. I don't care how hot he is. If he's not a Christian, time out. If you are, you are you're after him for his hotness, then that's lust. Does he apply himself to the means of grace? In other words, the Lord's Day, Bible study meetings, prayer meetings, personal devotions. Dear friends, if the person that you want to marry is constantly absent from prayer meetings or uh, church gatherings, then there must be something to be worried about. You must worry because if he's not present to learn and be taught, how will he be able to teach you in the home? What about personal conduct? What does his family think of him? His church, the community. Is he leadership? Uh, uh, is he leadership quality? I also think that the qualifications of an elder do apply to a godly young man. First Timothy three verse four to five. It says, "An overseer." must manage his own household well and keep his children under control with complete dignity. For if someone does not know how to manage his household, how can he care for the church of God? So those same qualifications should be applied to your prospective husband. Is he well thought of by outsiders? What do the community think about this man? He, 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 you know, when he walks out, if you ask the women who are selling Pamsika, they should be able to tell you that this man is upright. We've not seen him uh, commit any public scandals or, you know, say psst, psst to every girl that passes by or act, uh, you know, not rightly in public. What about for, for the woman? This is for the man. Does she know the basic teachings of the Christian faith? Is she a Christian? How do you know? Have you asked for a testimony of salvation? Have you seen their conduct? Personal conduct. First Peter chapter 3. Likewise. Likewise. Wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that if, even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives. When they see your respectful and pure conduct, do not let your adorning be external. Some versions say merely be external. 
the braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing you wear but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and a quiet spirit which in god's sight is very precious dear young man if you find such a woman in church do not hesitate to approach her for marriage not to say i just want to date her i just want to get to know her <laughs> you read the qualities are there in the bible if the qualities are there why waste the sister's time by dating just say i want to marry you let's let's go let's go if she's not down she's not down <laughs> let's go to marriage and then, ah, I just want to date you, you know, uh, uh, uh. and it should be done in, uh, in the local church, in public. My elders are quite a secret, you know, you're doing it secretly. And dear friends, all these things are to be discernible. They, are, they must not be questionable or vague. They must be seen and, of course, they do not just come or appear. The growth of an individual is cultivated in the context of a local church through sound preaching and putting into practice the preaching of God's word. And many, people, many young people today who are born again do not see much growth because they want to be relevant to the society. They want to have both hands in the church, one hand in the church, one hand in the world. They want to please their worldly friends and please their Christian friends. Or they want to please their worldly friends and stand for Christ at the same time. It doesn't, it doesn't work. Light does not mix with darkness. It's an equation that is impossible. You are either for the world or for Christ. You are either in the world but not of the world or you are just of the world and in it. The problem is that many young people today try to Christianize worldliness. When their hearts are full of the world, their practice is full of the world, but they try to Christianize it and sanitize it. And it is even seen in what they advance and advertise. Some of the things that, that people who call themselves Christians posts are very disturbing. And I'm not even talking about jokes. I'm not talking about humor. I'm talking about doctrines people they follow or subscribe to false teachers sensual things on on social media even dressing chayo you're going out for a date with your boyfriend or your friends and you know someone is taking a selfie and their whole cleavage is out or they're wearing a mini skirt and you know, can your sister even? <laughs> you know, happy birthday. 
and they choose the most, you know, ridiculous picture. There we have it. We must further examine all these things and how they come together. Let's go to practical application. A. This is for the married in the congregation. I'm now addressing the married people in the congregation. Do not discourage the young people that desire to marry. More often than not, where they are coming from, they have already been discouraged by their parents. They've been told they have to finish school. They've been told that they are not ready for marriage. They've been told my way or the highway. So when they come to church, they want to see an environment whereby you, the married, are cultivating and encouraging this covenant. When they come to your house, they want to see that, oh, okay, so this is how a husband should carry himself. This is how a wife should carry herself. This is how to father, to mother, to husband, to wife. The, this, these are the duties of a husband. These are the duties of a wife. And so forth and so forth. They're not going to learn it anywhere else. If you don't teach them, they're going to learn it from social media. If you don't teach them, they're going to learn it from television. They're going to see all these people. Can your mother even? Can your father even? And they're going to say, okay, that is how marriage should be. B, get into their lives. And I'm sorry to say this, that many Christians, when they marry, they retreat or treat single people like a cancer. Uh, because they are married, they then focus on their own marriage and forget how. You know, uh, you know how do they do this? They, uh, and they do not keep watch over them or keep them accountable. When Christians get married over the years, I've seen how there's like a chasm that is developed. The singles are pushed away and they're married in their own corner. You sort yourselves out. You do your own thing. We are here. We are in God's covenant. You are not. So you are left to yourself. But if you see singles struggling in their conduct, uh, perhaps they are too close physically or they touch each other inappropriately or they spend too much time alone hidden maybe their whereabouts or what they've been doing or what they do for fun type of people they hang out with it's your duty to examine and ask questions let me ask you a question felix when was the last time you asked sister jane about when she wants to get married, when she'll get married. When? Oh, okay. Okay. When have you ever asked Sean to go for coffee and discuss marriage? Oh, brother Anthony here. The chasm. 
the chasm. Watch the gap. Mind the gap. Because it is through these things that when we're not watchful as a church over each other, we are then leaving ourselves to danger and other Christians to danger. If you're not keeping everyone, people accountable in the church, they're going to fall into sin. They won't be guided according. You say, no, brother, this is not how you caught a woman. Huh? <laughs> in the Lord. You have to be able to say that. And it's going to be uncomfortable at first, but it definitely is worth it. Because it will save their witness in Christ and their integrity and holiness before God. And of course, I'm not saying that married people don't fall into sin. They do. But here we're focusing on how the married can encourage and disciple the singles to marriage. So be in their lives. Take a, a real interest in the individuals in your church. And not for the sake of the fact that you just want to uh, keep them accountable. No. Get to know them on a personal basis. Get to know your brother and sister in the Lord so that you are at a place where you can rebuke them and speak into their lives. Invite them into your homes. Spend time with them. And guess what, dear friends? Premarital counseling is not only for the pastor and his wife. It's for Christians in the church. It's not only for the pastor and his wife or the elders who between. There are people who won't necessarily occupy an office but can counsel because of the wisdom that God has given them from the scriptures. And it is your duty to come alongside them or even if a sister or a, or a, or a brother is not conducting himself appropriately in public, put your arm around them and call them to the corner and say, brother, that is inappropriate. Sister, today you're not dressed in accordance to God's word. I've noticed this. It is unbecoming of a Christian. Trust me, it will be difficult. It's difficult. These conversations are difficult. But if you love someone, you will tell them the truth. If you love someone, you will pursue them with the truth. See. Teach and exhort. So A, do not discourage. B, get into their lives. C, teach and exhort. So now we are zooming in to specifics in conduct. Where are you hanging out these days? Brother so-and-so, I saw you at uh, Mashwede. You posted a picture on Facebook with beer. That conduct is unbecoming. 
in dressing. We're not saying that married people are sinless. But what we're saying is that based on, the, on Christ as the foundation and their experience in marriage, they should be at a place to warn the people who want to get married of past errors. When a, and single people, when a married person comes and says, no, I've seen this in your courtship, in your relationship, or in your conduct. I don't think a woman would be able to accept you the way you are. <laughs> you are too rigid. You are too angry. You need to be more gentle. You, you need to be, at, at least try to pick your words in the way you speak. Because, you know, not all the people, not all people are the same. This is a big one. And this, I think, the church should move from what they've adopted in the past to something more robustly biblical. And it is this, that we should encourage single people not to court a long time. Like we said, a church... You're a Christian. You are a godly person. There's a godly sister. Plan your things in advance. Get your monies in order because we're in Africa. Lobola. Get your act together. When you go, pa, courtship, six months, you're married. Done. There's no need for you to go years and years in a relationship. You're, you're setting yourself up for heartbreak. You're setting yourself up for disappointment, for heartache that, that so many young people in the church today are just so hurt. They are bitter. They've got trust issues against men and women. They, they, they are clingy. They've got unhealthy obsessions with their boyfriends and girlfriends. And some are even as almost as if they are married when they're not married. They, you cannot tell the difference. The lines are, are, are blurred. You know, you know they, they, even if you're going to go out there, the people who see you, they'll say, ah, these people are married because based on your conduct. But what we're saying is this, because of that phenomenon, why don't you just get into courtship and get married? Six months, a year. There's no need. It's not, the Bible does not give a timeline to say this is a noble timeline, three years. There's some people say that, now nah, I'm just going to date for three years and then after that we'll see what's up. That's worldly. Oh, we're just going to see what's up and then we'll see whether she's the right one. No, 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 no. <laughs> and there's some people who have even single people who have ignited the flame of love before it was time. And what happens there? They either sleep together, they don't get married as a result, or they become people who are dating but acting married, essentially glorified cohabiting. The scriptural warning comes from Song of Solomon, 
in, in these places, it's three times in the Song of Solomon. Do not stir up or awaken love until it pleases. Young man or young woman, if you are not ready for marriage, do not awaken a sleeping tiger. Don't even text any suggestive things. Don't even show suggestive stuff. If you are not ready to awaken that love, do not. Some Christians who glory in flirting, glory, and, 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 and of course, We've made mistakes in the past. That's what I'm saying. We're not perfect. There's this thing that where people are afraid of being alone. I don't know if any of you have ever suffered from that. You're just, you're just afraid of being alone. Once a girl passes, you just want another one. You say, brother, why are you dating? Yeah, I'm just still trying to see whether this is for me. But <laughs> you're, you're dating. I'm just trying to see whether this is for me. The scripture is clear. If you are not ready for whatever reason, stay put. Don't awaken love. And here's a, a very damning reality. All long courtships result or can entail some sort of sexual immorality. It is not impossible. Well, it is, I would say it's actually impossible to court long and not fall into something. And if you say, oh, pastor, you're lying. I'll say, have you ever kissed your girlfriend? Uh-huh. B. Sexual immorality. You're not supposed to kiss someone who's not your wife. There you go. Have you ever thought or felt her up or felt him up? There you go. Bing. Sexual immorality. So the thing is that don't elongate for no reason. So from today, what this is supposed to do is that tomorrow, those of you who are in courtships, you're supposed to set deadlines for yourself. And say, I don't know, because the pastor has said this authoritatively from the word of God, Muna October, we're getting married. There's no longer time. Let's get married. Let's sort ourselves out and let's move on. Let's glorify God. There's no point of us remaining this way. And, and this is true. This is a culture that must be cultivated in BRBC as the church grows, that these are the standards accepted and expected and even propagated. These are the standards. Young men, Henry, if you are now a member of the church, the standards are this is how you're supposed to conduct yourself. We see you wanting a wife. We we'll say, right, brother, when? Should we put our blazers on? Get ready for blazer. Buy new blazers, mabachi. You know, withdraw some monies from, from the banks and all those things. I found these statistics very, very... I'm about to conclude. But these statistics very, very interesting on cohabitation and living together it says from the 1970s into the early 2000s 
it showed that men and women who lived before or who lived together before marriage were far more likely to divorce than couples who move directly from dating to marriage. This is an American research. And that the moment you start doing cohabitation, divorces now. <laughs> you may think you're clever. You may think, oh, the church doesn't know. So I'm going to live with this woman. We may even say after the preaching of God's word, uh, a nice fellowship on Sunday. They say, ah, I'm going home. We think you're going home, but you're going to your girlfriend. And you're going to sleep over. That's cohabitation. And the statistics are against you. So you're not clever. Not only are you living against God's will, the statistics are against you. That you may think you're clever, you're enjoying yourself, but that relationship is not going anyway 33 percent sorry it says in fact on average researchers found that couples who cohabited before marriage had a 33 percent higher chance of divorcing maybe dear friends maybe the problems in your marriage right now if you're married and you cohabited before maybe they come from that In conclusion, the church must create a culture of discipleship in marriage. It should be a well-oiled machine. Do not be selfish with what God has given you. Rather, pass it on to the next generation. We want to see young people married in our church. We want to celebrate. We want them to pass what they've what they've received to the following generations we don't want to see them struggling hey all the time pastor ah what's the what's the problem how ah, you know ish the problems oh 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 chi hey we did this you know it can, it can be avoided by having a church that is concerned about the covenant of marriage and we should be able to say listen friends let us do what god has said i'll challenge the marriage the married that we want to see you disciple those who disciple others and single people avail yourselves also for the process Amen. Amen.